everyone. Welcome to the Scriptures Are Real podcast. I'm your host, Kerry Mulestein, and this is the podcast where we talk about elements of the Scriptures that have become real to us because we want to draw more power out of the Scriptures. And today we're doing a short cast on a question that I've received a number of emails about and uh, even some comments online. And so I wanted to just address this. It's for a reading that's just before ours. But first, I wanted to take care of just a teeny bit of business. Uh, we don't do that very often, but sometimes we need to do that because this is a podcast. So um, we, we have to pay our bills and so on. So we want to thank uh, our sponsors, uh, including some anonymous sponsors that have made uh, these things possible. Thank you so much to them. Uh, I also want to encourage you, if you're interested, to join um, uh, Spark. Uh, it's the Society for the Preservation of Ancient Religious Cultures, which I uh, help work with and do lots of lectures on. You'll get access to uh, private lectures from me and from other people on LDS and ancient topics. And you help fund excavations like my own and some in Petra and Megiddo and Ataru's Jordan. And we're working on some in, in Mesoamerica for Book of Mormon Connections and so on. Uh, so if you're interested, check out sparkproject.org. Spark helps fund a lot of what I do and uh, makes things possible. So please uh, consider going to sparkproject.org for as low as $35 a year. You can get access to, to first access to tours, uh, special get-togethers, special lectures, uh, signed books, uh, all sorts of other things. So please check out sparkproject.org. So Today, we're going to talk about some teachings that are in Matthew chapter 22. This is where the Sadducees asked the Savior some questions about marriage, and uh, it has brought up a lot of questions for members of the church, partially because sometimes uh, this is used by people to say there is no such thing as eternal marriage, which is interesting because most Christians, I believe, actually believe they'll be married in eternity. Uh, they just don't recognize or realize that you have authority to, you need to have authority to make that happen. We recognize that. So even people who are saying, look, this proves that there isn't uh, marriage in heaven, uh, although they misunderstand this scripture, they actually typically still believe in marriage in heaven. So let's go through this story. This is when the Pharisees and Sadducees are just contending with the Savior during the last week of his life, and he is uh, answering their questions, and, and they're not faring very well. Uh, but this one, most of those questions come from the Pharisees, and they're the people who typically tend to love to debate the law. So at the end of the Savior's life, it is largely the Sadducees that are persecuting him, that determine that he should be killed, that put him to death, uh, have the trial and, and, and take him to Pilate and so on to make sure he's put to death. It's the Sadducees that do that for the most part, but we mostly see him contending with the Pharisees. And again, if you've listened, if you haven't listened to the two roundtables we did on the Pharisees, I'd recommend that you do that. That's early on in the New Testament year. You can go and find those two roundtables. But this is probably not most Sadducees, but some Sadducees. Uh, but it is a very Sadducee thing to debate points of the law. That's just the kind of thing that you do. They, they love to get together and debate and say, well, this is the way we interpret the law. No, this is the way we interpret the law. So that's who you're going to see doing that with the Savior quite a bit. And the Savior certainly goes after them. But uh, this is the question we get from the Sadducees, or one of the few times we get direct questions from the Sadducees. And we have to understand that the Sadducees, those, those are the priests, right? I think we've talked about this before, that Sadducee comes from Zadokite, uh, the Zadokite line of the priesthood. They run the temple. And we have to remember that they do not believe in the resurrection. And Matthew understands that that's very important to understand this questioning between them. So he includes it. When we get in Matthew chapter 22, verse 23, the same day came to him the Sadducees 
which say that there is no resurrection, right? So the Matthew knows we need to know right away. They don't believe in the resurrection. That's their whole point. They're trying to trick him on uh, catch him up on his belief uh, in the resurrection by showing uh, a scenario that they think shows that resurrection is a silly idea. So, and they asked him saying, master, Moses said, if a man die, having no children, his brother shall marry his wife and raise up seed unto his brother. So this is what is called the leveret law of marriage. It comes from the, uh, the Akkadian word levir, which means brother-in-law. Uh, and this is something that was conscious in the ancient Near East with some unique twists in the uh, law of Moses, but uh, largely the same. And it is designed to take care of people that need to be taken care of and to make sure that uh, a line doesn't die out. So if my if I were to marry and not have had children before I died in order for my land to stay in my line, and in order for my widow to be taken care of, and in order for my line to continue, it would be the responsibility of my brother to have a leveret marriage with my wife. That means he takes care of my wife until she has children that are old enough to take care of her. He takes care of the land until those children can inherit the land. And it's his job to impregnate my wife so that the children will be raised and the children won't be his. They will be mine. This is called the Leveret Law of Marriage. Now, it kind of freaks out a lot of people, especially if you, like my wife, would not love this conversation and so on. Uh, and, and that's understandable. And, and culturally for us, this is really weird. But culturally for them, this was seen as a very charitable, kind thing to do that makes sure that widows are taken care of by someone until they have children that can take care of her, that they're not left alone for forever to take care of themselves. Uh, including when they're too old to take care of themselves. So it's it's a law that is really designed uh, to take care of people. It's a law born out of charity. Let's keep in mind that uh, Judah and Tamar is a leveret marriage, so is Ruth and Boaz. And so the Savior is descended from two leveret marriages. And I'm sure he's very aware of this as they ask him this question. And they all certainly know that David is descended from these two leveret marriages. So it's leveret marriages are an important thing and not seen as a bad thing. That's the scenario they're setting up. They say, okay, there's a, a someone, the law of Moses says if a brother marries his wife, then he needs to raise up seed to his brother. Now they set up their ridiculous situation. There were with us seven brethren. And the first, when he had married a wife, deceased, means he died. And having no issue, had no children, left his wife unto his brother, meaning his brother was supposed to be a leveret brother or a leveret marriage and raise up seed. But likewise, the second also and the third unto the seventh. So what he's saying is everyone who tried to impregnate this woman died up to seven. And, and then the woman died. So no children, nothing. And verse 28, therefore, in the resurrection, whose wife shall she be of the seven? For they all had her. So you see what they're they're trying to show. Look how complicated this gets. Why would you even believe in a resurrection when this gets so complicated? Uh, and the Savior's answer is twofold. First of all, in verse 29, Jesus answered and said unto them, Ye do err, not knowing the Scriptures nor the power of God, for in the resurrection they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are as the angels of God in heaven. I'm going to come back to that in just a second. Second part of the answer, verse 31, so this is touching on the question they're really asking, though they have not said it. 
Uh, but it's clear to everyone what's really going on. But as touching the resurrection of the dead, have you not heard that which was spoken unto you by God, saying, I am the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. So this is his way of saying, of course there's a resurrection. God doesn't say he was the God of Abraham and God of Isaac and God of Jacob back when they were alive. He says he is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, which means that they are still alive. There is a resurrection. And when the multitude heard this, they were astonished at his doctrine. They're like, oh, good argument. Way to go. You, you, uh, the Pharisees couldn't really argue with you. And you even get that in verse 34. But when the Pharisees had heard that he had put the Sadducees to silence, they were gathered together. So it's clear to everyone, okay, that was a good answer. The Sadducees looked stupid. Uh, they couldn't answer you. He convinced us that there was a resurrection, even though all of his audience probably believed it anyway, except for the Sadducees. So uh, so he answers the question about the resurrection, which was their main question. But let's go back to the part about marriage, where he says, in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are they given in marriage. We have to remember that these were leveret marriages. Leveret marriages were not normal marriages. They were not a full marriage. It was a marriage that had only two elements to it. One, an obligation to take care of someone, and two, an obligation to produce a child, uh, preferably a male child. And we don't understand it well enough. Maybe it had to be a male child. I don't know, because it had to be someone that could inherit and take care of, of the mother. Uh, but that was it. It was not a marriage that lasted for forever or even for a long time in mortality. The obligation was until someone else could take care of her, and the obligation in terms of, of uh, sexual relations was until a child, perhaps a male child, was produced. Those, that's the length of the marriage. It's not a normal marriage. They don't uh, do all the things. It's it's not like polygamous. If the, typically these brothers-in-law were already married, this wasn't like a polygamous married marriage, and he had two equal wives or anything. The, this was a specific kind of marriage with specific temporal markers. And that means that it certainly is not a marriage that's in the hereafter. So the answer, what he's really saying is, duh, with the first brother, the one that she's really in a full marriage with, not the leverage marriage. So I would amend this to say, for in the resurrection, they, meaning the other six, are not married nor given in marriage. They're leveret marriages. Those six are not married nor given in marriage. That is what he's saying. It would have been completely understood by everyone in the cultural context that was familiar with leveret marriages, and it's only misunderstood by people in our day who are not familiar with these marriages and how they worked. And that's when we can get this kind of uh, uh, twisted uh, understanding of what he's saying in verse 30. So I hope that uh, helps clear this up. Uh, I would just love to add my testimony of the wonder of the opportunity to be sealed for time and eternity, that this is one of the most wonderful elements of the restoration, to know that we can be with our spouses, to know that we can be with our, our families, our children, our parents, and so on, for forever, for eternity. And uh, we can do this uh, for because we can be sealed in this life and also for those who have passed on we can perform those marriages so that we can be with them for forever uh, i cannot think of anything other than salvation itself that is a more exciting or comforting doctrine than that i i just celebrated my anniversary 
uh, a little less than a week ago, my 28th anniversary, and I want to say how happy I am that I can be with my wife for eternity. Uh, I know there are lots of people who their marriages are not quite as wonderful as mine is. Mine's just a wonderful marriage because I have such a wonderful wife. Uh, but let's also remember that in the eternities we'll be, if, if we're exalted, and thus have a continual eternal marriage, uh, we'll be exalted beings, uh, we'll be happy with each other. It will be a, a divine relationship with divine beings, and we can be together forever. So a happy anniversary, honey, and a little bit late. And uh, I want to tell you and everyone how thrilled I am that we can be sealed for forever and that I am so grateful for the restoration and the keys that were restored to make that possible. And I will also testify that relationships are the key element of the gospel. God wants us. It's why there's a covenant. God wants us to have a relationship with him. He wants us to have relationship with each other's, with each other. And he wants those relationships to go on for forever. And of that, I testify. And for that, I express gratitude in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.